Welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast of the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And I'm Philip. And this week we're taking, we're sort of doing a, a bit of an old format episode because of the passing of Milos Foreman. He sadly passed away last Saturday. Um, and we basically, we thought that we'd take the opportunity to discuss, we, myself and Andrew had already discussed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, his highest ranked movie in the list. Um, but we thought we'd discuss the other movie, which was Amadeus. Um, so Phil, uh, who was our first original guest, very kindly oh. obliged, and, and he actually suggested the idea of covering this. So we're sort of stepping in at the last minute um, and sort of recording an episode where we thought we'd talk a little bit about Milos Foreman, and then we talk specifically about Amadeus. So in sum, if you don't like this episode, you can blame me. Somehow I yeah. doubt you'll be the, the problem with this episode. Yeah, there, there, just to be clear, there, there will be problems with this episode. People won't like it. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, Andrew's but, laying his cards out there. Do absolutely front. listen to the rats. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've already heard it. This, uh, this is like um, when, when, when you write an academic paper, the abstract is the last thing that you, uh, that you produce. Right. But it's the first thing. That I was thinking it was more in. like Mozart. It's like we can already hear the podcast in our heads. That is true. And it's just realizing also. it is the next part. Yeah. Uh, Plus time doesn't exist. It's, for a, it's in, a construct. In, in the IMDb uh, 250. <laughs> any, any, anyone who's, who's really paying attention. There are little context clues. Um, <laughs> to suggest that the to order suggest that we live hearing, in a different continuum. Yeah, the order in which you're hearing 250 episodes are not the order in which they're recorded. But let's talk a little Sorry, bit. Sorry. I, I don't think that's the case. Okay. I, I, I believe you, you that time, believe that time just doesn't for exist. For us. Okay. Well, welcome, Mr. Time Cube. Um, but <laughs> time, have you heard, you've heard about Time Cube? No. Time Cube is this theory of how the universe works that explains time isn't actually linear, it's a cube. It's just the way that we perceive time is the flattening of the cube to create a linear effect. It's fantastic. I'll include it in the show notes. Uh, okay. Let's carry on. We are only two minutes into the episode and we're already off on tangents. You already know it's bad. Um, But we decided uh, what we do is we talk a bit about Milos Foreman because he passed away. Hmm. And Foreman is an interesting director. I think he's a great director. Hmm. But he's a particularly interesting director because he's one of the most quietly influential directors of whom I, I can imagine. He's a director who has this huge pop cultural footprint, who has this huge impact like in terms of One Flew mm. Over the Cuckoo's Nest is when we talked about it on the list it was it's absurdly right it's in the top 20 films of all time yeah. it's a massive defining film it's been parodied and deconstructed and homaged countless times everybody knows it even if you've never seen it um, even this film Amadeus we were remarking before we went on air like we could find references to it in absolutely everything Andrew was very fond of the 30 Rock uh, parody yes. in which uh, Tracy... Tra- Tra- yeah, Tra- Tracy is creating a, a the f- world's first um, porno video game. Duet becomes a trio. The trio becomes a quartet. And on and on. Do you have it? You go too fast. Um, yeah, and, 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 and Frank is the Salieri to his Mozart. He's frustrated that he's put his entire life into porn. He's like tearing up all of his. I've given my whole life to porn, and he does it in one day. One day. Yeah, we're so sorry. We're not talking about porn in this. Well, episode. I don't know. Um, Foreman did direct the People versus Larry Flint, so. Yeah. And I mean, um, Phil then offered his own like favorite homage, which, which was from Family Guy. Had nothing Gun, to do with porn. Which, which, no. <laughs> which was much. It had classier. everything to do with farting. Hey, Stewie, play Haydn. 
Now play Handle. Play Peter Griffin. Ah, now that is a challenge. Mock me. But it wasn't Stewie who was laughing at me. It was God. I will say this for Amadeus, if nothing else, it is for the classiest and probably the best film of the fart joke. Oh yeah, well I mean we'll t- we'll talk a lot about like Amadeus and its sort of sense of humour and how that possibly related to the real Mozart maybe a bit later on. Mm. But just in terms of Foreman, like let's talk a little bit about Foreman, because he it's like you say, he is fascinating because he's he has a, a very big influence, largely defined by the two films, uh, One for the Cuckoo's Nest and this one, Amadeus. The two films he won Best Director Oscar for. Uh, the two films that, you know, won are Best on Picture the, as well, didn't And they won Best Picture. Uh, they both won Best Actor, Jack Nicholson yeah. and F. Murray Abraham. And uh, they're both in the top 100 of the top 250. Yeah. And I mean, not, not even that. He's had two more films uh, that were in the 250 originally. Um, so, for example, Man on the Moon and the other one, which is The People versus Larry Flint. Was Larry Flint in the 250? Larry Flint was actually in the 250 from the list's inception in 1996 through to, I think, late 1999. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's not a movie. It's not actually, bad at I all. I really like it. And Well, you know that those two films are from the same writers as Ed Wood, who imagined them as a trilogy about ungreat men. I could see that. And like, the thing about Foreman is he's hard to pin down as any kind of auteur because this film's formally quite different from each other but he does seem to come back to these themes of uh, i suppose to use that term ungreat men he's he seems fascinated by people who ha- end up having to rally against the circumstances in which they find themselves to varying degrees of success so whether it's rp mcmurphy salieri larry flint andy kaufman they're they find themselves as odds with the uh, with with the, within the systems in which they have to operate um, so Salieri, for example, he's in Amadeus. He's an ultimate insider who suddenly finds himself relegated below this young farting upstart. And it's that's why I love the film. It's you're watching somebody who is just so frustrated that it causes him to question everything: his his position, his faith, the whole works. You know, all the good things. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of the element of people who are not conventionally great, who are not like what society would deem to be great. And it's telling, for example, the two films that are in the top 100, directed by Foreman, both feature extended scenes set in psychiatric institutions. Yes. Uh, in that the framing device here is a psychiatric institution, and obviously everybody points to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. They didn't have uh, great costumes in, in the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, though. In, in, this, in this psychiatric ward... You have you have people dressed in 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 costumes for some reason, and sometimes like you people aren't dressed at all. Yeah. yeah, like you've just come in and uh, costume day. <laughs> or, uh, well, uh, you know the, the psychiatric ward's great. You've got twenty Napoleons for every one Lincoln. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that one guy's a time traveler. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of that in Foreman's work, and it's kind of interesting because I would argue, looking at Foreman's work, he is a much more consistent director than some of the directors that would be considered like the greater directors of the 70s. I'm thinking in particular of Coppola. Mm. Um, or I'm thinking, for example, of De Palma, who falls just outside that. Like I think Foreman, you're right when you say he doesn't have an aesthetic that's easy to no. pin down. 
but he's had his huge impact and he's worked relatively consistently. Relatively. Um, now, he passed away the other day at the age of 86. Uh, so I don't think he'd made a film... I don't think he'd made a film since Goya's Ghost. I think That's the one with Natalie Portman and Peter Sar- no. Seven Skarsgård and, uh, and Javier Bardem. But uh, that was back, I think, around 2006 to the Fact Machine. Yeah, that was his last uh, major release. Is that, I think he may have done some stuff um, internally as well. Like, he may have done... Um... Whoa, 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 whoa. What? 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 To the Fact Machine. We're trying to surreptitiously pretend like we're um, off the top of our head remembering things. Remembering the movies that he made in Czechoslovakia. He made one film in Czech uh, since uh, Goya's Ghost, but that was in 2006, and it was not well received. It seemed to disappear without trace. Yeah, um, there's there's a whole bunch. Yeah, there there is some stuff there as well. There's Chelsea on the Rocks. Uh, I, I he directed a lot of stuff in between. Like he had his big hits. You know, so you had Amadeus, One for the Cuckoo's Nest, and then People versus Larry Flint and Man in the Moon. Later as on. Well as yeah, like he had a lot of stuff in between, which isn't. Yeah, you know, it isn't remembered quite as well, but who knows? Maybe now it might uh, get a, reta- a, a revisit. So you have things like hair, uh, ragtime. He also this was one of those unfortunate situations as well, where two films were made around the same time with the same subject. So he made Valmont, but yes, it was pipped time. by Dangerous Liaisons. Yes, he didn't direct the version of Dangerous Liaisons with Uma Thurman and John Malkovich. No, that was Stephen Frears. He got very much sort of outstage for that or upstage. Uh, yeah, um, Valmont's fine. Uh, Colin Firth. It's a Peter Schaefer as well. Who um, wrote this? Yes, yeah, yeah. People, people, people might know through Equus. Um, but there, there, um, I, I was trying to think of what else I knew Peter Schaefer from. I feel like there, there's... He, well, he's a Tony Award winning writer. His brother, I think, has also uh, written for the stage as well. Anthony Schaefer. Anthony Schaefer, yeah. Anthony so. Schaefer wrote The Wicker Man. Ah, I did not know ah, that. Ah, there we go. There so it seems possible that's the sort of connection there. Um, Schaefer passed away in 2016 as well. But uh, there is, there is. I'm not as... Like, Amadeus wouldn't be my favourite of his films, but uh, I... And we talk, we talk about One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't like that as much as most people. But I actually really like Love, Man and the Moon, and I really love uh, The People vs. Larry Flint. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's a lot there to recommend them, and I think that they are usually formative and influential films. Would this be your favourite um, of his films, Bill? Absolutely. Um, speaking personally, uh, uh, Amadeus has been a favourite of mine for a long, long time, and it's... It'd be quite high up on my list, knocking on the top ten, sure. Really? Mm. Of all time? Mm. Nice, because I, yeah. I remember when we have guests on, uh, we typically ask them to provide us with a list of films they'd like to talk about in the future. And sometimes it's interesting because you see people who will say, I'll talk about any Scorsese film. But then you occasionally... I wonder who that could be. I wonder who that could be. But you occasionally end Martin. up... <laughs> Martin, our, our, we got him lined up. Great, Marty. Yeah, to his friends. To his friends. Which like Jay loves Marty. But anyway. um, we also have uh, people who give us this back with very specific films for specific um, directors. And I remember noting that you hadn't put down One of the Cuckoo's Nest. You'd actually put down Amadeus over yep. it. Yeah, um, One for the Cuckoo's Nest. I think is a film with a lot of power and a lot of energy. Um, I just. I just warm to Amadeus more. I, I, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, it, it, it's a tough film to warm to. It's a really tough watch sometimes. Mm. But it still has a power that few films do. 
uh, so I could easily rewatch it and and like it and admire it. But this, uh, I don't know, this, for lack of a better phraseology, strikes a chord with me. Oh. I, I beat him to it. Come on. This, this, <laughs> this stuff is music to my ears. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I did, no, I'm not moaning at, at, at you. More, it, It's more that you've just set Darren off. I appreciate that Phil conducts himself in the spirit of this podcast. Oh. Is this what you wanted? <laughs> Would it, I'm, no I'm mo- going to lie to you and say no. <laughs> There's no Mozart to see the mind's construction in the face. I'm sorry, people. I'm so, so sorry. Uh, but yeah, so... Um, only and, pun fans will be delighted. Yeah, there are very good segments for everyone all the time. At the same time. But Andrew, yourself, you had seen this before. I had seen this before. You said, <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a setup. Let, Come on. Let, let, me, let me read from my prepared <laughs> remarks. <laughs> um, the, uh, I had seen it before. I do quite like it. I, um, I have not seen uh, Man on the Moon. I have seen The People vs. Larry Flint. I, I would have to see Larry Flint again, but I think that this is my favorite, Miles Foreman. I having having watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest a second time recently, it didn't strike a chord. Uh, with, uh, sorry, that's a crazy statement, Andrew. <laughs> um, I think you're what? cuckoo. <laughs> oh, hi um, Yeah, I should I should be celebrating. The, um, the, the, the Terrible puns. puns. Yeah. Um, Don't think of them as punishment. Oh, that one is. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to, so this, this would probably be my number one. However, do you know what make this even better? What's that? a Beethoven movie. I, 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 I want a good one. A one as good as this. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and uh, if you can point me in the direction of, as our resident music fan, yeah. as our resident music expert, this, this who is you, you are a music. I am not a music expert, but this is a great movie. It is because it's Miles Foreman, it's Peter Schaefer, it's Correct. Mozart. Yeah, the, I want. This is the, what. This is another reason I like this film. Is that there are loads of Beethoven movies, but there's only one Mozart movie, and it's this one. You don't need another one. So um, it does kind of make everything else. Make but, one uh, good Beethoven movie. Some that are okay. <laughs> Yeah, Immortal Beloved is fine, and I'm not talking about the dog ones. Oh, because <laughs> those are the classics. Immortal Beloved, refresh my memory. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Oh yes, yes it is. That's and, the one. And sadly, it's probably the best of the lot. Well, I mean, Gary Oldman certainly isn't a too bad a thing to be fair. Bernard Rose is an alright director, but yeah, it's uh, basically Amadeus is the best of the composer movies. Well, yeah, of the composer and, subgenre. But it, there's it, a few of them. Hey, compose well, yourself. Well, we will get into that. So yeah, no, I I, I don't think although, you can bait it. Um, although I think to be fair, you should probably uh, not watch um, Amadeus if you're looking for a historical like guide to Mozart's life. No, but wh- is, why why would you um, look at um, for that in a movie? It would be, it'd be like, like looking uh, for information in a podcast. Exactly. Huh. Yeah, and it, like we're 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 just here to watch movies and eat wings. And we've already <laughs> watched a movie. But yeah, there's there's uh, interesting. I'm all out of bubblegum. Do you mind if I ask? Actually, can you remember the first time that you saw this? Can you remember like what your first impression of watching this was? Like what age you were? Um, like, I would it... I would have been in my early teens. First impression was uh, well, the soundtrack's not bad. <laughs> who, um, <wrote> yeah. <laughs> who is this guy? I want to see more of his yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. 
God, he hasn't done anything in a while. It must be a hack. I did mm. like that there was, yeah, there was no original soundtrack by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like the, um, there was, there was a moment where, um, in, whatchamacallit, uh, The Mission, which is one of my favourite movies, where, um, Ennio Morricone was told to write music for a piece, and in the piece, it's called, um, Gabriel's Oboe. Oh, it's fantastic, yeah. It's amazing, but, um... When they filmed it, they just told uh, Jeremy Irons to play something on the oboe. So he played um, a Bach uh, piece. Yeah. And Ennio said, how, how can I write music that is better than Bach? Like, why not just use the, 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 piece, the, the, the piece that Jeremy is playing? And of course... Then he wrote Gabriel's oboe. And exactly. That ended that argument. Um, but he, he demonstrated something there known as humility. <laughs> um, and, and, um, um, and I sense a theme related to this movie coming up possibly um, possibly maybe possibly. yeah, yeah. Um, no but it's definitely a theme of this movie but I guess we won't talk about that too too, too much, much at now. this point I would, I would have it on the list it would probably be my favourite I'd love to see something <laughs> as good as this about Beethoven because I adore Beethoven but even just more movies about music like I don't generally rock to people talking about music I don't understand it it feels like kind of dancing about architecture yeah. but, 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 but to watch a movie like a, a big part of a movie is the music and a big part of the music is the story it's, it can sometimes be very boring to kind of have the story told to you without the music if you know what I mean. It depends on the movie, but this is a movie that definitely needs but music. I, I mm. get, I get what you're saying, but I do think I kind of, I would be, I would side more with the uh, dancing about architecture. Mark, it's very hard to make a movie about music. That's why I suspect no, there I, are I, so I, few like biopics, and not just of composers, but of musicians and rock stars in general, because it's very hard to articulate. You can't properly. separate one from the other. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's easy to point to counterpoints, like, obviously, remember in the 2000s when, like, it was give this movie a Best Picture Oscar because it happens to star, it happens to feature a musician. Now you're happening onto a pet peeve of mine, which I thought I wouldn't stumble on until oh, the go spoilers. On. Go on, go on, hold on. Concert movies are terrible. No, they're not. They're, 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 stop making sense. There you go. <laughs> yeah, stop making sense stop is a great counter Stop making sense example. is great, yeah. But, um, it, but even, even, like, um, when, I say, when I say concert movie, like, I, w- I was thinking of... Um, What's it called? The Last Waltz? Yeah. But the band, um, it's it's actually, it's Martin Scorsese. It is, yeah. It might have been that I was awake for far too long, <laughs> but it did put me to sleep. You need to and watch it And it was like it a midnight showing. No, you mm. definitely need to watch it again. But, but yeah, you were saying, sorry, Phil, before we cut you off. Oh, um... I couldn't possibly be right. <laughs> <laughs> the claws are out here. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Fisher's very belligerent. I'm trying to some contentiousness in, in, <laughs> into this rather, uh, like... We've God's been going far too long. I thought of, you slipped the volume into his drink. Yeah. Respect and, and, and dignity, and mutual appreciation. What we, what the audience really wants is particularly is for some, this podcast commemorating the loss of one of the greatest directors of the twentieth century. Have to happen sometime. Why not now? Okay. <laughs> so Phil. <laughs> so Darren. Oh, is it me? Would <laughs> you would you would you put this in your two fifty? I probably wouldn't. Actually, this would be like I. Would probably rather have Larry Flint or even Man on the Moon over it, actually, for being honest. Okay. I like it a lot. I really, really like it. I think it's clever. I think it's well constructed. I think it's hilarious. Mm. It's really funny. It's got a great sense of humor. It's very good. F. Murray Abraham is fantastic. And it's really disappointing that Abraham kind of faded into the background. Like, he's 
now he's sort of revived himself as a character actor with, say, the Grand Budapest Hotel, Homeland, Inside of the Davis. Yeah, yeah, he keeps cropping up. He does. Right? I was about to say, there was a time when, like, the thing that F. Murray Abraham had done, the biggest thing that decade was Star Trek, Star Trek Insurrection. I remember that. Isn't he the guy with, like, the flat, the floppy hair? Yeah. He's the plastic surgery. He's the comment on, like, plastic surgery in Los Angeles. Ah. Yeah. Um, it's really, because he's really good, but the part is really awful, and the movie is terrible. Mm. And it's just, because you, you know you've seen him in this, and you've seen him even in the little bit parts in, in other stuff. And you know that he's fantastic. And it's really kind of, it, it's frustrating that he never really had as much of a kind of a breakout as you imagine a film like this would have led to. Mm. Which is kind of strange and, and disappointing. But the, It's the, disappointing that they made a data movie and made it bad. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. But Sorry, I, we're getting off topic. But there's a lot <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. No, no. Yeah, there's a lot here that I like about, um, that I like about Amadeus. Don't get defensive, it's alright. But it, there's also a length issue. And I mean, we'll probably talk about this when we get to the, the spoiler zone. Because we, so, we did watch the director's cut for this. Yes, that's... Uh, Kind of my pet peeve. We could, I couldn't back down the theatrical nor, cut for you. Nor, nor could I. I. I went online. We decided, as I mentioned, we decided to do this at very short notice. Thank you for coming in, Phil. No problem. Um, but we weren't able to get a hold of the theatrical cut. Even online, if you look at the, the version that's provided by online you know, sort of providers like it's, Google it's, Play it's or whatever, cut. it's all the director's cut, which is very respectful, I think, but it's, it's strange. Yeah, but uh, that seems to be the way of the... I don't know. Um, you can win or lose with director's cuts. I think this is one which probably doesn't benefit from it but hey ho what can you do well, I mean it adds a lot too many notes but, but it talks with exactly. oh, yeah that's an exactly interest, the wonderful conversation with Jeffrey Jones but I mean we'll we'll probably talk a bit about the specifics of what was added there but even when I first watched it it it's a two hour and 40 minute movie it's a, it's a three hour movie when you add in the 20 minutes for the director's cut it doesn't always sustain itself for me I think momentum wise mm. if, if we're being entirely honest Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really, really like it. And I would recommend going out and, and watching it. I think Phil sort of hit the, the nail on the head when he suggested maybe watch the theatrical cut if you can find it. Uh, it is available on DVD in places, but most copies that you get now are the director's cut. All right. So I think we're sort of agreed where we segue neatly into the spoiler zone. <laughs> What is Amadeus about for you? For me. Um, and this question comes up every time. Every time I, <laughs> it's see, sort of I feel like a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah, it's a, the, the great left hook. Um, <laughs> which I should have seen coming. What's it about? Um, for you. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Crucially. That's your get out. Andrew, do Darren. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate to say it, uh, but... Uh, Any time I, I watch it, this movie to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good one. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't like it. <laughs> I've had that conversation yeah. with you before. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was going to <laughs> Putting me on blast. Is that what the kids call it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Are we These done? wings are straight fire. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a long one. Um, what's it about for me? I think. 
I think the reason I love it and so many other people do is that if they're being brutally honest, they see a lot of themselves in Salieri. Uh, so this is Antonio Salieri, who is in this and in the stage play is portrayed as this great rival to a young upstart by the name of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And I think anybody who has ever felt like they've been kind of usurped or passed over or in any way kind of just forgotten and left behind, they'll see themselves in this character. It's um, it's a really sad and bitter commentary on, I think, just the pettiness of humans. I, I, I think I'd I go even further than that. I, I, like, I'd say... What resonates for me with, with Scagliari? When I look at Scagliari and I see Scagliari of, of myself in we, him, we we have the pronunciation expert. For uh, him. Also, we've been listening to his name in the film for the last two or three quarter hours. I was mostly listening to the music, um, but Fair no. Point. But uh, what I see of myself in Scagliari um, is that thing where no matter how hard you work at something, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you make yourself an expert, no matter how many of those. 200 hours you invest to make yourself an expert in something. There will always be somebody who is better than you. And, and yep. not better because they, they work harder necessarily, but better because they intuitively understand it, you know, in the way that, that you have to strive to. And you, you can't even match until you see them do it. And then you appreciate, you have just enough ability to appreciate how well they do the thing. But not, but not enough them. to do it yourself. And there's a wonderful bit, and I think, in fairness, it is something that's added in the extended edition, where Salieri is talking about his relationship with God. And he's wondering the irony of God instilling in him the desire, the desire. to praise him, but mm. denying him the ability. And that's something... The talent. If, yeah, the talent. If, if I'm being brutally honest, I felt that way... Quite a bit in, in a lot of the stuff that I do. There are moments oh, when I no, no, I'm Darren. not, I'm not being, not being, Come, Darren. not being modest or anything like that. But it's, it's when you read a bit of prose and you, you look at how it's constructed, and you go, that is amazing. Well, you're only 22. <laughs> like you've got lots of. I've got so much of my life ahead of me. Yeah, uh, Mozart was practically already dead by my age. But yeah, the, I think that it's a universal. I think Phil's right when he says it's a universal experience. Mm. You look at that. Everybody at some point has felt that in themselves. And you're never proud of it. You're mm. never, you know, you're never I, encouraging of it, but I it's don't there. Know. I, I, I don't really identify with that. I think I identify more with Mozart. Well, oh, get I, you. Well, I, I, I've always found that every, everything's quite easy. And I've just been blessed by God with talents. What? That, and, and I, like... I if he keeps going down this tr- this tread, I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Andrew, we, like when you I was when I, talking, when I was talking about being Salieri, I mean, I was talking about the podcast. Um, I'm sitting next to Mozart here, but no, <laughs> they're, they're, and he's even got the laugh. But just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I just arrive with 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 no research and nobody can tell. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's but there, oh, I know nothing about movies. But it just like naturally flows from my lips. But Abraham is amazing in the role in how he makes him at once like repellent and monstrous and like and yet understandable and yet understandable and relatable. You look at the performance and you see so much in there. You pity him, which is remarkable given what he does over the course of the film. Yeah, it's again, it's it's something that 
we desire to do. If we've ever had somebody that we're up against in any kind of competition, we've probably dreamt of sabotage. And yet, we've probably never been able to do it. What? I'm saying, just imagining, you know. Yeah, if we're being We are Irish. We are a nation of begrudgers. We know who, uh, who has been in our way in order to get a job. Let's, let's just be real. Let's just say that person there. is dead and we're alive and we have their job. Um, Thank you, Andrew. Okay. But uh, we'll continue. Dark. On. Yeah. Dark. And you went to a very, very dark. Yeah, place. I wasn't, that wasn't quite where I was going. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, there, there is something in there. And like, it's interesting. One of the things that the extended cut does is it actually makes Salieri a much darker character than he was in the actual cut. Like, there's one of the extended subplots that added, that's added is his relationship with Mozart's wife, in which yeah. he blackmails her, essentially blackmails her, um, and then, like, shames her in front of the staff. Yeah. There, that was all added. That was cut out of the original theatrical cut, and it was added back in. I think that's a shame. Is, no, it's not the same. I actually know it's no, not. No, I, I, I think oh, that's a shame. That Sorry, it was cut out, or that it was... That, that, that it was cut out in the theatrical. Because I, I, I think that, that piece is very interesting. Because there's a thing throughout about um, Salieri and his... Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, we're in the spoiler zone. Yeah. Uh, um, about, about his chastity, but there's also, like, the, um, a kind of an exploration of, of these kind of um, vices. So for Salieri, it's food. And he's, he's, he's not just intimidated by um, Mozart's uh, musical talents. He's intimidated by his virility. Yeah. And he's... he's um, yeah, the the in, opera singer on which he very clearly has a crush. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, yeah. Overt sexual kind of messages in this, and yeah. there there there's there's something very. Um, um, well, it's no coincidence he offers her the nipples of Venus as yeah. an appetizer treat. Like, yeah, it's all very yeah. much of a piece, really. Yeah. But it, it's yeah, it's kind of like food kind of stands in. Yeah, uh, for, for other for, 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 for sex with um, Salieri's character. Yeah. So he's offering her food. Or he's like um, feasting on food, like he's at some sort of an orgy. Yeah. Um, or he's sneaking into a room to um, to surreptitiously eat, while Mozart uh, breaks into the room to ha- have yeah. a, have a bit of a role. Yeah. Um, Mozart on, is, on, is, on is obviously ground. sleeping with all his students, whereas Salieri is just stealing the food while playing. Salieri is kind of pointing at Mozart as if to say, "What a disgusting animal! Look yeah. at what he's doing." And 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 yes, he 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 has these kind of displaced vices himself. Yeah. Because it's obvious that he feels these kind of um, lustful thoughts. Well, but he admits the, himself. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and um, uh, but but he's he's promised himself to chastity. So instead, he he's he's this kind of um, glutton. The interesting thing so about I thought that, that is, was interesting. Well, what I find interesting about all that is, like in the film, it makes a quite a, a big deal about what uh, Salieri has done in order to try and get where he is. That Basically, the vows he has made to God in order to achieve. And he says that when he was a boy, he offered to God his chastity and his industry so that he could be immortal through music. And then um, a miracle happened. Yeah. Indeed. As they see too. a great cut. It's a really great... Like, Amadeus has this really great dark sense of humour where... He prays to God for a miracle. His father dies choking on food. It's very clear from the beginning that even as a child, Salieri, there's something Misplaced. wrong with him. Yeah, I, he, he's a, a twisted um, in, individual. He, he's um, he's controlled by um, kind of 
blind ambition. He mm-hmm. he doesn't have really a, a he has this devotion to God, but uh, without without any material compass. Mm. God is seems to just be the instrument of yeah. of his um, uh, delivery. Basically, he's putting all the blame on God. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, which is. Which isn't wise, because you're only going to lose that fight, as he uh, does <laughs> eventually. But um, as well as it, my, what I was going to say is that when it comes to the the biopic aspect of this, and we'll probably talk about it in terms of Mozart later, but as far as Salieri goes, he gets a really, really raw deal from this film. Um, he should lodge a complaint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably should. Sorry, I'm going to sound like Mozart laughing in the background of this podcast. <laughs> Mozart's laugh made me very self-conscious. Uh, <laughs> but it's... Like it's not the fact that he uh, kept himself chaste for his no none of that is true he was married he had children and before that he almost certainly did have a relationship with uh, Caterina Cavalieri so oh. uh, the thing is Salieri if, if you ask anybody who might know anything or might think they know anything about Salieri it'll be in reference to Mozart it'll be in reference to this film and they'll think he's some kind of mediocrity. Uh, which he's not. If you go and listen to some of his works, like go uh, listen to uh, Akshar, one of his operas, which features in the film, it's perfectly, uh, perfectly good music, fine, powerful, uh, loud, booming operas. Yeah. They're, they're they really just great. didn't redefine yeah. the art form. Well, I yeah, mean, I, I, I think it depends how you define mediocrity. Yeah. So um, I think for Salieri, what greatness is, what he's asked for from God, he said, "Give me this talent so that I can glorify you." And and so that I may be famous for for for, what, for all time, and so that I can um, glorify you throughout what, all time. I think what Phil was getting at, though, and we should probably talk about it now, is is this I, the difference between Sayari as existed historically yeah. and the version that exists now in pop culture as a result of this movie? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's there, it's a big gap between there is, the. Well, the does what? that matter? I, well, I mean, no, go, it, go, it, go it doesn't on. necessarily matter like, in, the, in if, terms of... I think there's a discussion to be had there. We're trying to say he's not mediocre because he wasn't as bad as he's portrayed in this movie. But he is mediocre because he he's not Mozart. Yeah. But well, I mean, that's... I don't think that's quite fair either. I mean, well, okay. I mean in, 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 in the terms that Salieri expresses. Okay, in, well, in this movie. In this movie, so yeah. let, let's oh, let's right. just differentiate between movie Salieri and real Salieri, because I'm fairly sure there are Salieri devotees online who are just raging to set the record okay. right. Salieri, oh, yeah, they're going to be raging at us and not the film that has existed yeah. for over thirty years before we record. But apparently, the rumors of of sort of a divide between a rivalry between Mozart and Salieri were cooked up by Pushkin. Well, uh, yeah, this so Alexander Pushkin he wrote a uh, he wrote um, most uh, Salieri a short play. In 1830. Yeah. Uh, Salieri died in 1823. And um, basically, before he had written that, there were just these rumours that Mozart, he died in 1791. There were rumours that he had been poisoned. Yes. And most of that stems from a letter he wrote to his wife Constanza shortly before his death in which he said he feared he'd been poisoned. A cabal, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. But that's all. it It was only one letter. Yeah. And there was never anything that could prove it. Yeah. Now, devotees of history and uh, musical history, and Mozart in particular, will um, you know, they've gone through all of this. The, the accepted theory is that he was ill. You know, yeah. It wasn't uh, poisoning. Um, now, whether it was a gradual illness or something more sudden, there seems to be a bit more debate about that. But in any case, he did die on December 5th, 1791. 
and it's unlike score one for accuracy. I do my best. No, I mean the film. Oh, well, well okay. it, it kills me that this is even part of the discussion. No, okay. Well, I just as, think it's as, in, as in like I don't think it's this, a complaint. We're not this, complaining this about a piece the film. Of fiction used to speak about a certain thing. Okay, but we're not we're not using we it know. to complain about the film. Oh like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, not sorry, we're sorry. not this is I not a mark against the film. Oh. This is more. It's just interesting. I think to divorce the film's version of Salieri from the the real life version. In oh. that, like, like, like in a, in, a, in a sort of uh, like as a. Tangential interest. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not, not as a core. Like, we're just right. sort of almost getting out of the way. Like, I mean, mm. the rumors apparently started with Mozart's nephew Carl was the first one to spread rumors. But interestingly enough, there's a lot of evidence to suggest Salieri and Mozart actually got on reasonably well when they were alive together. Cause a they professional composed. rivalry at best. Yeah. They composed together. There was actually a discovery of a piece of music that the two of them had written in collaboration uh, with one another, which was performed for the first time in February 2016. Hmm. And the discussion is, the argument is that Salieri, and the film, to be fair, the film actually captures this relatively well. The argument is that Salieri would only really have been jealous of Mozart after Mozart died. And after he increased in popularity. Because, because yeah. artists always do. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, true artists do. They're understand outside their time. It's like 32 years... That's going to happen with you, Darren. Yeah, I'm not a true artist at all. And, um, you're, and you're not dead. And I'm not, not until dead. you die. No, thank you, Andrew. Um, 32 years of watching myself become extinct and of watching his own work fade and Mozart's hang on and endure and even become more popular. Yeah. And Well, actually, if... It was always going to be a case to become more popular because at the time, Salieri was as popular as Mozart. Mozart, like yes. you say, he wasn't appreciated. And um, and Salieri did have a great deal more success than the film that's on. He um, After Mozart's death, um, Salieri's works uh, went on to be performed all across Europe. Very popular uh, in France, in Paris. He, his uh, operas went on for uh, performances. They were booked for months Um but uh, yeah, it wasn't until after Mozart died, a good while after Mozart died, that his works became as popular as they are well, now. I, I, well, I mean, I they were relatively. Mozart gave the Germans a taste for German um, music, or... um, music and German opera, and mm. uh, like it, it kind of. Um, I'm sure you would have had German opera anyway, but it's kind of like mm. thanks to this sort of to him in part anyway to 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 kind of like popularize the colloquial. Or sorry, very well, sorry, vernacular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. As as in, like I know. Well, I know. And, I know. And, Wagner and that were were much later, but mm. and to bridge, well, to bridge the divide between the you know the music house and the concert hall and the, the yeah. opera house and stuff. I mean, it's it's worth noting, for example, the marriage of Figaro, which the film implies was a flop, was such a success. The emperor had to restrict its encores. Mm-hmm. He didn't restrict its performances. He just had to limit the amount of encores that Mozart could perform. Uh, Don Giovanna, uh, or Don Giovanni, was a much bigger success as well. On top of that, yeah. Uh, again, in the film, they portray that as only having a few performances, uh, which are poorly attended, which is not the case at all. But I mean, again, and I think Andrew's right to say that doesn't really matter. We don't yeah. want to do um, every, everything wrong with Amadeus yeah, in two no, and no. a half hours. Yeah, no, that, that's that's not what we're doing here. No. And to be absolutely clear, I do think it is worth noting, though, that the, the divide that there is Amadeus is not a conventional biopic and should not really be. I wouldn't describe it as a conventional biopic. I think it's more a thematic and metaphorical work. Sorry, Phil is about to say... Well, you've kind of... Again, you're asking me what the film is about. And one thing that I absolutely love about it is that it isn't a conventional biopic. Because, well... We were talking about biopics, about uh, how they tend to be 
garlanded, but they are also formulaic as heck. And the mm. fact that this takes such liberties with the life stories of both Salieri and Mozart, that just makes it stand out automatically. Yeah. But it also uses them and trains them in something far more interesting. That's it exactly. Yeah. Uh, like this is much more than a biopic. It's about um, it, it's about jealousy. It's a crisis of faith. It's there's far more going on than a biopic tag. Yeah, and if you had to bend the facts to fit the story that was being told, or so if you had to bend the story to fit the facts, you would lose the story, and the story itself is Hmm. worth telling, is the heart of the film. Can I sidebar for a pointless discussion? Okay, go on. Sidebar. I I really like biopic. I know it's biopic, but (laughs) biopic just sounds better to me. Whenever whenever people say biopic, it just kind of... It, it, like it, I find like it it it, it, it just affects me somewhere. I don't know why. Do, do you ever have these words where you feel like I know it's pronounced that way, but it just doesn't sound right to me? Well, I like the word biopic because it sounds like myopic, which is yeah. so often what they are. Hi, oh, like, uh, and that's my high point of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. It also I'll get it, me coke. it does also sound like there's a guy in Hollywood who moves going making these movies. He's the biopic man. It's like I want to. I want to. Uh, he's the guy you need to get your Beethoven. This is not made. the best Darren can do, people. No, no, it's <laughs> not at all. He had, um, he had a really good one earlier on today, but it doesn't really fit into the. Discussion. Yeah, I can't really work it in right now. But oh. I think I think you're right, though. I think that it's entirely fair to say it doesn't matter that the movie is historically inaccurate. Mm. I mean, I would be a little miffed if I were Salieri, but Salieri has been dead for quite a bit of time, and so it doesn't and really. Would he be as known? Without this film, there's not a question. Really. So, I, like, I, the, the, I don't think they can have um, any complaints hey. from the ghost. Ha, what half a reputation? Yeah. Hey, like hey, a, hey! Um, Joe Moore even wrote a musical about how great Salieri was. Once again, defined in opposition to Amadeus, <laughs> maligned master, the glory of Salieri. Um, <laughs> that guy sounds like fun, doesn't yeah. he? But <laughs> maligned I, you know, master. Is, like, but I suppose this is the argument. Maybe half a reputation is better than none at all. Yeah. Is there any such thing as bad publicity? Is the argument? Uh, I don't know. As no. no <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting for the 250 scandal. <laughs> yeah. That's going to shoot us into the headlines. Oh and it's God. Like, any, um, one of those like bits on CNN. So. Tell us, what is the 250? Just because none of us well, have ever heard of it. And Philip Bagley, you were a contributor to the <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, I was. Did and you see the warning signs? And, and I was disgusted by what I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, by the way, did you guys see what happened to Channel Awesome? What happened to Channel Awesome? What is Channel Awesome? Uh, that guy with the glasses. Oh, what happened to them? Oh, look it up. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that there's an argument to be made that it... That Amadeus isn't a conventional biopic and it's stronger for that fact it has yeah, a, a purity to it thematically speaking because it is about able to do a lot more yeah it's about that stuff that we talked about earlier which is like the idea of being burdened with mediocrity but of recognizing greatness and watching somebody succeed despite the fact that it takes them no effort because they understand intuitively how something works interestingly enough like one of the things that i really like about amadeus is the way that it modernizes its characters as well hmm and it, it plays into that idea of not being a historical biopic because obviously um, the characters interact and talk and behave very much like like modern actors. Like Tim Hul- Tim Hulse is that Tom Hulse. Tom Hulse um, has this American you, you, accent. Your, your pronunciation. I mean, I know I'm the pronunciation expert allegedly, but yours are way off today. Man. I know Tim and Tom. I can't uh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that Tom Hulse to the two fifty. Yeah, that's a bit clearing. Um, th- yeah, Tom Hulse. He's a, he's unabashedly not using any accent but his own, which it's properly American. And bear in mind, we are set in seventeen in mid seventeen hundreds Vienna. 
Yeah, and I mean, even Sire Sankalo, who you played the role on stage, he originated the... Keanu Reeves. Or he yeah. play, yes, he played he, um, he played uh, Mozart originally. He did indeed. And then now he, here he plays a uh, Chickenator. Yeah, and he he does he does an American accent as, as Andrew pointed Ch- out. Chickenator. 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 Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you said Chickenator, like he, like when he was in his chicken <laughs> costume at the end. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, but he does the characters. He, is Chickenator. <laughs> Carry on. But he has um, he has an American accent, which is astounding to hear Simon Kello do what what Andrew accurately described as a Keanu Reeves moment, where he goes "Whoa!" Uh, when he realizes that he's late and he needs to run backstage. Um, yeah. It's amazing to see. But I like that you know it puts him and Mozart together. They're like the young upstarts. They're the the Yanks in among these st- the stiff upper worlds. lips. Yeah, yeah the these, old world. Yeah, these yeah. stiff upper lip older types of Salieri and the court. It puts them at odds. I, I, well, I mean, it, it's very constantly modeled on rock stars. I think, for example, definitely. Like, I think that, um, like Mozart is always kind of seen as a rock star in amongst this establishment. But the, the funny thing about that is how he's a rock star, but he's this is a movie about about dad stuff. Like they, as 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 in like he, all that, that 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 matters to him is his kind of father's approval. I know, and and, 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 and his kind of reaction against his father. And his is at the same wants this kind of need to please his his, yeah. his father. Like when yeah. he completely empties the apartment at the end to pay for his debts, there's still the picture, a creepy picture of his dad in the corner staring at him, mm. judging him no matter what he does. Yeah, so wonder Spielberg didn't direct it, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, but, but it, it, it's it's and 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 there's all there's all this interesting stuff about there's like a father god tread. Well, Salieri, like having his father, his own father being murdered, rages against God by setting the crucifix on the fire. Yeah, it's quite a powerful image. That it's something simple. He just takes his wooden crucifix off the wall and puts it in the fireplace. But it's as an as a visual, it's striking, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and there's there's a lot of that in there as well. Like, I mean, you can even juxtapose that against the the story of Mozart throwing the the music for the Marriage of Figaro on the fire and having it pulled out at the last minute, mm, mm. and even the discussion of like the two of them being trapped in eternal, you know, do you believe in eternal hellfire and all sorts of stuff? Like, mm. there's a lot of rich symbolic stuff running through the film. I like the kind of sex music thread as well. Where, Thought where, you might. Yeah, where, 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 is that a burn? In eternal hellfire, I'd say, do you feel eternal? fire yes <laughs> it's kind of toasty uh, the the yeah but it, it, it was it was kind of um it was interesting you saw it in a few scenes where the uh, there's there's a few there's there's one where salieri is, is observing mozart's conducting mm. this um this lady uh, opera singer what's her name katarina katarina yes and 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 there's a, there there's uh, there's definitely like a strong sexual subtext in that. Well, there's, I mean, it, it leads directly to you know the discovery the, that the exactly. two of them have been sleeping together. But, yeah. but it, it's like, and the fact that his teaching of the various daughters around town is also not at all a metaphor for oh, I've been sleeping with them. Yeah, yeah. you you have as well a moment, and maybe I'm completely off base, but I feel like it was in the same in the same kind of thematic th- area was was when his wife gave. Salieri, the and, papers. Yeah, it felt I, like I've he, always he felt was, this. He was in this kind of um, ecstatic moment. Yeah, like, the, there's like, a scene where he's he's reading Mozart's uncorrected scripts of yeah. music. And music finished as no music is ever finished. And it's the point where the uh, Kyrie from the Mass in C yeah. minor is 
and playing. This is a chase and man. Uh, and a chase man. And then suddenly he's got this look in his face. He looks like he's orgasming, frankly. Yeah. He's yeah. just he's in and he's slipping faster he's and faster. And it's like yeah. And then the music just slips out of his hands. He's lost control. Yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, Yeah, I th- I'd agree with you. That is definitely a third. Well, one. and then that leads directly to the scene where she's picking up the stuff. He holds her hand, and, says, and then you get the actual proposition as well. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think I, I think that's a very strong thematic line the film is making. She, she throws down the music and starts taking off her clothes. Well, that's yeah, that's later that's on as well. Yeah, 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 where she says you don't need to look at this anymore. Um, yeah. So the the the, the um, it's a kind of um, there's a kind of a comparison and a contrast between like. Uh, music and sex in this movie and that sometimes it's portrayed in a way that 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 um music like uh sex is is um is an act of creation or i I, I, I suppose yes yeah but but also that kind of music like food is is playing the 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 place of of sex in salieri's life yeah and also um there's 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 this sense in in the scene in the opera where sex and music are two great tastes that taste great together. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right. I mean you, you would say that, but I, I think the film also suggests like that that Salieri's vow of chastity and somehow prevents him from the act of creation. Mozart is is very explicitly sort of going out there and, and drinking know, and drinking and, and, and indulging all his urges and therefore is creating. Like I mean, his his wife talks about how he works all day and goes out all night. Could and the you film, have a few ideas there. And the film seems to suggest that there's something very similar going on there. Whereas Salieri is more restrained and chaste, and like he he can barely bring himself to look at the you know he wants to sneak a peek at the music and he wants to sneak a peek at the wife, but he can't. He can't do either. He can't fulfill either ultimately. Right. Um, and the film seems to suggest. I think that there's there is an overlap there, as you pointed out, that there's Salieri's chastity, his refusal to acknowledge or to sample the the joys of life or to yeah. indulge those vices, if they be called vices, has somehow limited his ability to create. Mm. Yeah, well, I think That's definitely great. traditionally these are these are vices, and in the world that they live in, is there is there is there is, there are all of these libertines, but polite society and especially royal society. And uh, cler- um, ecumenical society to which they owe their patronage uh, don't look kindly upon these things. Indeed they, not. But no. but then again, the argument is Mozart is creating, creating greater works than Salieri seems to be whilst indulging his vices. Yeah. So there's a contrast. Which do you, which side do you go with? I think the film is saying that Mozart's entirely right. Uh, perhaps I'm. Fr- I, you know, it's hard to disagree. Well, he say he says at one point he says, um, "I'm a vulgar man, but I assure but you, I assure you my, my music, music is, is not. not." Yeah. Which 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 and and uh, Mo- Mozart's character in this are Wolfie, um, <laughs> which uh, is great. That is, that's only for Costanza. But I, I love that the film portrays them as like a '70s married couple. Like his, yeah, his it wife looks like they're in New York, and it's like, "Well, you're gonna go out and get some money." Well, his yeah, <laughs> they have this conversation in the. Building Billiard room, yeah. and it's like something. It's like Kate talking to Michael in The Godfather. It's yeah. like, when are you gonna go out? Yeah, it's like we need money to live. Or, yeah, uh, it, it actually sounds. When you go on about it, it sounds more like the honeymooners. Yeah. Are you gonna get some money? Bang <laughs> them to the moon. Yeah. 
Er, er, it's 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 like um, what um, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy that Tommy Wiseau kind of based all of his. Oh, James Dean. James Dean. Yeah, where it's <laughs> like you're tearing me apart. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, there's a real element of that. Well, you know that Mick Jagger was originally considered for the role of Mozart. Yes, that's absolutely he, true. He, he was. And also, like what we're talking about, like celebrity and star persona. Um, it it makes Hamill, too much sense. Yeah, Mark Hamill played the role. On, I feel like he would on, do an okay job. He would definitely have the laugh. Well, down. That's, that's exactly. True. Apparently, Very that's, true. that's where he learned the laugh for the, for the Joker, Joker was by doing it on stage. And oh, he was, wow! He actually he auditioned uh, with the actors who were playing the wife and, and Salieri and stuff, mm. and he was really disappointed that Foreman would cast him in the role because he, he really wanted it. Foreman was like, no, no, no. They see Luke Spacewalker and it's all over. Yeah, it's um, it, true. And they went through a lot of people to get this cast right. Yeah. And I'm, these are roles that probably should have been star-making for Abraham and Hulse and they just didn't turn out to be, which is kind of weird because uh, Abraham one. tells a story where he found out he got the role whilst he was making Scarface. Ah. Uh, yeah. And suddenly he yeah. went from being a bit part player to having the role that everybody wanted. Yeah. And he's he, he's yeah. top build. Like when you watch the opening credits, he comes makes sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely it, makes sense. He's it, the lead, Salieri is the lead character. He may not be the title character, but he's sure as hell the lead. Yeah, and yeah. he narrates and okay. everything. And, yeah. While while Hulse is good in this, sorry, that is his name, Hulse. Hulse. Yes, yeah. yeah. While while Hulse is good in this, I don't think as a cinema goer uh, you're going to necessarily want to see him in anything else. Because um, he's just like convincing of being so annoying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's so good, and there's actually like a depth to his because, uh, like, I spoke a bit about his kind of self awareness. Mm. So he knows that he's not this um, that he's not worthy of of, of this of kind the of gift talent. That he's he's, been yeah, given yeah. He he's aware of the same thing Salieri is, and he he really loves Salieri. I think. Yeah. Um, well, there's a the really heartbreaking him. moment at the end where the two of them are lying in bed together. He's like, the, I thought you didn't care. The about composition him. scene in yeah. Amadeus. Well, the, compo- oh, the composition scene is just amazing in general. Like, there's uh, so much great stuff in there. That's uh, the, that's where the um, the Thirty Rock. Um, yeah, you're writing too fast. That's the, comes in. Yeah, well, that's the moment where Andrew sort of twigged it. It's the you know you, you got to slow down. You're going too fast, but he, mm. the music just flows through. And and the duo. The duet becomes a trio, and yeah. the trio becomes well, that's, a portrait. Well, that's from earlier. That's yeah, when he's yeah. talking about the marriage of Figaro. Oh, no, but in, when he's in, in, the, in yeah. the film, he's talking about it's like okay, and then you bring the tenors in. He's like, "What? You bring the tenors in? No, you're bringing them in on the bass line. It's like you've got to slow down." It's, and, yes. and, and that again, I think, uh, not to harken back to it too much, but it, 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 it's another kind of example for me, anyway. I mean, you can accuse me of having a one-track mind, but it's again this kind of uh, sex music <laughs> thread because they're in a bed. And 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 you're and stretching kind it of now. Like, you're stretching it, but go on. <laughs> is is that a pun as well? No. The, um, oh they're, come they're, on! They're, well, no, they're, no, there is. I think I think and that's they're getting fair. to kind of know each other. And um, what I mean, I, I think it's I suppose it's more intimate because it's one on one, and they're actually working together. And I think it is, yeah. it is fair that like the one scene where you see Mozart really. No, I don't, I don't think you're stretching at all. I think the scene where you get to really see... Because obviously you see Mozart do it earlier on, where he comes in, he's like, oh, Salieri wrote that. I can play it from memory. Oh, yeah. it gets a bit samey here, so I'm just going to improvise a bit. Uh, you guys just appreciate it. it that is a hilarious. That's scene. a great scene. But the bit where you really see him compose, the bit where you see the magic really happen mm. and the act of creation take place, I don't think it's a coincidence that it takes place in the bed. But there's that beautiful moment where he's describing the music moving his fist in the air in rhythm to it, a music that Salieri can't hear, that only he can hear. And we and hear it in the soundtrack. It plays but yeah. in the soundtrack. Start with the voices. Basses first. Second beat of the first... Time, me- time. Common time. 
on A. Second measure, second beat. You see? Yes, yes, G sharp. Of course. Yes. Second beat of the third measure, on E. You have me. I think so. Show me. measure on C. Second measure, fourth beat, D. All right. Yes, 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 continue. Second beat of the fourth measure on F. Now the orchestra. Second bassoon and bass trombones with the basses. Identical notes and rhythm. First bassoon, tenor trombones, with the tenors. Don't go too fast. Do you have it? Don't go too fast. Do you have it? First bassoon, tenor trombone, what? With the tenors. Identical? Of course. The instruments I... doubling the voices. Now, trumpets in timpani, no. trumpets in D. No, no. Listen no, to me. I don't understand. Listen. It goes with the harmony. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I understand. Yes, yes. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. Strings in unison. Ostinato on A, like this. Next measure is rising. Yes, 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 go on. Voca me. C major. Sopranos and altos and thirds. Altos on C, sopranos above. Sopranos up to F on, on the second vocal. Yes. Yes, yes. And on dictus. Yes. And underneath, just violins, arpeggios. <laughs> Descending scale in eighth notes, and then back to the ostinato again. And that's it. Do you have it? Go too fast. Do you have it? Go too fast. One moment, please. One moment. Yes. Good. Show me the whole thing from the beginning. There's an, um, in the making of, uh, there's a making of documentary on the DVD, it's uh, excellent, but uh, there's a point where uh, Hulse describes actually leaving out a couple of directions from the script to confuse Abraham and actually make it seem more like he can't keep up. 
Very good. That's, That's actually pretty, really good. It's, um, it's very clever. The, the wonders of clever. yeah, forced method yeah. acting on your partner. Um, feel, why not? I yeah. feel like if if you want one more crazy theory, <laughs> go go for it. <laughs> Andrew. We're sure? all for them. I, I'd say go for it. it. Won't surprise you what one of the elements of, the, of these of this kind of thematic thread <laughs> for Andrew is. It, is, yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is Amadeus uh, the best movie about sex you've ever sex seen? Sex and God. <laughs> I feel like there there is there there is a. Um, but it is an in, act of in, creation. In the sense that um, Salieri has... Um, Salieri has chosen to have a relationship with God instead of a relationship with, uh, with women. Oh, please. So it, 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 even and, God and, is and, looking at that and going, and he, uh, buddy. <laughs> and, but, I mean, and, he eventually and, rejects even God. It, but it, but he, 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 he's like kind of grazie signor and, yeah. and kind of like talk, um, talking to him like 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 a partner yeah true true throughout the movie and there's also the with the, the the point at which it becomes most explicit is when he's saying enter me god please it doesn't really make me feel that uncomfortable like I mean I'll, I'll double down on that and I'll say that like if Salieri sees his business partner as God it's telling that Mozart's business partner is his wife to the point where Simon Callow's character refers to her as his manager mm. she's the one who makes who bring puts his notes together so that he can audition for the role of tutoring the princess you know it, it's very much his wife who organizes it's wife who oversees yeah. I think it's, it's fair that the film basically juxtaposes you know Salieri saying okay God is my partner and my manager and Mozart saying actually that's kind of the woman with whom I sleep the woman with whom I make a child it's a weird thing because it keeps on playing this kind of thematic game where 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 it juxtaposes the the idea of God and the idea of um, of, of father, and then it it, it 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 seems to have like these kind of five or six themes that are sort of juggling about and putting in different combinations. But they come at, at least, very well. yeah, exactly. I mean, you could argue that's very Mo- in the style of how Mozart describes his music, or how Salieri yeah. describes Mozart's music, where they all interlock in ways that don't appear immediately obvious. Mm. Like the scene in the institution where he's talking with the priest about music. That's a like we talked at the start before the morning zone. How difficult it is to talk about music. You may as well dance about architecture. Yeah. But the scene where Salieri's describing how the notes interlock and interplay—that's pretty close to doing it perfectly. They for me. Are, they're, it, you're talking about the scene early on where he described yes. first hearing Mozart's yes, music yeah. on the page it looked nothing the beginning simple almost comic just a pulse bassoons basset horns like a rusty squeeze box <laughs> and then suddenly high above it an oboe. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfulfillable longing. It seemed to me that I was hearing a voice of God. 
those descriptions are among the most beautiful of music. I mean, Schaffer's words in a scene like that, it, they're sublime. And he describes that movement uh, that's played. Uh, their longing, their unfulfillable longing that's in the oboe and solo clarinet and things like that. It's beautiful. And like you say, it's tricky to get that kind of emotion, those kind of thoughts down and on it, music, but they manage it. And I think the, 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 one of the things that makes the discussion of music so great in this is that whenever they're talking about music, they're, they're generally also talking about other things. So, so when, 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 when he's playing his, his music for, for, for the priest, it's not about his music, although his music is used... To kind of make the point, it's about his, him. Uh, yeah, him and his feelings of um, at one at one time uh, pride, the same time complete like humiliation, because hmm. it's heartbreaking that scene because it's it's kind of like he keeps playing his own his, music, his greatest hits, yeah, and there's no kind of um, it Reaction. doesn't register, yeah. And the priest is an honest man and can't say... Um, oh, I heard that one years ago. Yeah, yeah. My, and, my and, wife's and yeah. And I was like, I'm very sorry. but And the Salieri keeps torturing himself over and over again until he finally plays Mozart in order to torture himself more. Yeah. So we're saying he's a sadomasochist. Well, it is. Well, there's an element of humiliating himself. I've gotten off the sex thing. Um... <laughs> but there is an element of that where he knows, like, it's not for the priest's benefit. It's for his own humiliation and atonement, almost, yeah. in some mm. way, shape, or form. Like, the priest is there to hear his confession. This and is... This is a confession is... that I, I worshipped this man and I was never as good as him, and for that, I tried to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. But but also also even the more primal sin of I felt I, the guilt that I felt the shame that I felt pride the jealousy, and shame yeah, yeah. And, and all this sort of stuff. and so he the killers does, God tested me and, he, and I lost yeah is kind of the um, sort of message of it for um, Salieri and I mean if you want to talk about religion and stuff like it's telling that it's not really God that tortures Salieri it's Salieri himself because hmm. he's yeah. the one as you pointed out the only reason that he does that with the priest he doesn't do that for himself because he knows the answer he knows the priest isn't going to clap his hands when he hears Salieri's music and he plays the Mozart bit knowing that the priest will recognise it as Mozart yeah. and yeah. he'll feel even more humiliated no it. it's, 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 it's not in the kind of music it's one of the most famous pieces yeah. ever <laughs> yeah it's uh, not like he did a deep cut it's no, no. it's uh, it's sad because once you think about it you know Salieri is torturing himself despite the fact that he had pretty much everything he wanted. When Mozart came along, he was the court composer to the Emperor of Austria. Yeah, yeah. what's you're not uh, going to lose that position? What's the problem? Well, I mean, it's I think funny. the problem is, is again, it's pride. Because I mean, yeah. even after Mozart exactly. leaves the court, even after Mozart is playing in music halls and doing stuff that yeah, after Mozart nobility, is dead. Yeah, that even after that, Salieri's pride refuses to acknowledge that you know that he has what he needs and what he you know what by any measure, should satisfy his desire, but doesn't because he wants more. And he threw away everything that was giving him some kind of purpose out of that jealousy. You know, he gave up on his faith. He's uh, jeopardising his position. He's um, he's just doing everything out of spite. Yeah. And he, I think he recognised uh, at different points throughout the movie the kind of value of mediocrity, or that it has some value. As 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 in there's 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 a very kind of a fr- funny phrase when they're talking about who uh, won the commission for for the lessons. Yeah. It's like oh you're Her rewarding summer. mediocrity. And he says no no no. He has yet to achieve mediocrity. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 there's a point at the end where he's like I am I am the patron saint of mediocrity. And, and I bless you. I, I absolve you. you. Yeah. Yeah. He's also very aware of how popular he was. 
and 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 how and he knows through the kind of cutting remarks that Mozart gives that he is actually um an expert when it comes to pleasing the kind of the common um, taste yeah yeah well, i mean well that's that's the thing there's the the really great barb discussion between the two of them when they're discussing the failure of is it the marriage of figaro marriage of figaro. it's where they're having the discussion and you know salieri's like oh you obviously thought too much of the common people and and mozart's response is well i should have asked you to consult on it then and you have this wonderful double barrel sort of insult where salieri's yeah. giving out you know a backhanded compliment where the compliment it, you know it is a compliment you thought better of these people than they actually are i'm not really insulting you as much as, you know, your ability to overestimate and think better of people. But eminently he thought better of everybody, not just the common people, but the emperor as well, considering he put him yawning. Yeah. It was interesting as well, because I feel like he's aware of his limitations, even when he's talking about how... Um, Are we talking about Salieri or Mozart? Salieri. Even, no, because Mozart doesn't really have limitations. Uh, Mo- <laughs> Mozart Mo- has no limits. Well, I mean, Mozart's <laughs> only limitations are in terms of his, his, his kind of like energy and... Um, uh, well, his ability like, to, to put stuff out and his self-control. Yeah. He has no self-control. He's massively in debt despite the fact that he's working at the court. He has to sell all his belongings despite his incredible talent. Like and He's they, got no restraint. He's got no control. I'm glad they made sure to have the billiard... Uh, um, <laughs> game in there because uh, he actually lost a fortune playing really? billiards, an absolute fortune. Wow! I think I think. Oh, well, when of, the billiards come due. Oh no! And I think as well, you portray in this movie what kind of what sometimes. I mean, I don't know as much about music as you, Phil, but, <laughs> but but what 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 could be one of Mozart's limitations is that he kind of had to do what he did for 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 money. He did he that he in 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 the sense of like. The amount of work that he produced, yeah. it like it it, it 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 came into kind of like basically having a job, yeah. and 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 needing to recycle things that he had already done in ostensibly new pieces in order to basically Pay get bills. a get a yeah. get a paycheck. Versus when you look at somebody like Beethoven, he's he's got a huge volume of work, but far less than 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 than, than Mozart. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like you say, there's. It's an interesting commonality between Salieri and Mozart in that their pride in both cases was their downfall because uh, Mozart, great composer, had lots of shows, uh, lots of um, operas shown, but you know the money just seemed to slip through his fingers and refused to take teaching work after that. Again, it must be the pride, if anything else. Whereas in now in reality, Salieri, we see him uh, tutoring some opera students. But well, first thing to bear in mind is that in reality, Salieri was uh, married into money. Even though he's not married at all on this film, but hey. Well, uh, yeah, that, again, we're talking about the, the need to satisfy the film's themes above historical accuracy, which is a fair choice. But um, when he did tutor, he actually did tutor for free. And they say that in the film. That is absolutely true. He tutored a lot of students wow. for free. Not just in um, not just in opera and performing, but also in composition. His students included Franz Liszt, uh, Franz Schubert, and uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Ludwig van. As in, yes. Mr. Yes, Richard really? Van. Yeah. Wow. So, and, yeah. And, and, and wasn't there a relationship between uh, Mozart and Beethoven as well? Uh, well, no. Like, less the... Was there? I'd be surprised. Is, it, they, is there some suspicion that they might have been in Vienna at the same time? Sorry, I may be getting this completely wrong. Do you want um, to go on the fact <laughs> machine to check? Um, do we want to go to the fact machine to check? All right, I've already got the fact machine fired up. Hold on.
So we're back from the fact machine, um, and it's Andrew is correct when it comes to reporting the the hearsay and the rumor in that apparently they were both in Vienna around the same time in 1787. It was said that Beethoven may have received a few lessons from Mozart in the time. However, there's only one account of the meeting, and it's not contemporary. So it's possible that it's it's sort of an urban legend that this could all be hearsay. This could all be hearsay. But now it's again. on a podcast. So it's yeah. Official. So it's, it's, well, but I mean, then again, Salieri in this, this is, entire movie. This is all hearsay. Yeah. The, the, like, there's it's a, not even. Well, yeah, I, it's maybe less than hearsay. But and um, like some of, some of it is just kind of um, I guess fiction for the terms of like for the for the sake of plotting. Of um, yeah. Which is a fair choice. Like I mean, I would rather have a good movie than an accurate movie in many ways, shape, and form. Like, well, fiction can be more true than fact. Well, yeah, in, and that it in, speaks in to a, a fundamental way. truth. Yeah, and well, this certainly proves that case. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, it's interesting that we've gone nearly an hour talking about Amadeus. We haven't really talked about Mozart. We've talked around him mostly in terms of Salieri. <laughs> well, the thing about Mozart is, like I, I said, I always felt that this, um, that this film gives Salieri a raw deal. Mozart's not quite so much. Um, in terms of the things that people remember about Mozart from this film... Mostly how bloody annoying he is and how childish he is. It is alleged that he has a very high-pitched, irritating laugh. laugh. Is that based on historical facts? Uh, It's written. Or on historical records. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, And also, uh, his smutty sense of humour. That is fact. There is a letter written to a cousin of his, which he talks about... Um, I have a quote and, here. Yeah, go ahead. Do we, do we want a quote from Mozart's letters? Oh, this is another Milas Forman uh, IMDb two fifty after dark. Uh, Darren reads. Darren reads. I, I left out the colons there, but you can put them in. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's hear this. I now wish you a good night. <laughs> in your bed with all your might. Sleep with peace on your mind and try to kiss your own behind. I now go off to Never Neverland and sleep as much as I can stand. Tomorrow we'll speak freak sensibly with each other. Things I must you tell a lot of. Believe it, you hardly can. But here tomorrow it already will be. Be mine in the meantime. Oh, my ass burns with fire. What on earth is the meaning of this? Maybe Muck wants to come out. Yes, yes, Muck. I know you. See you. Taste you. And what's this? Is it possible? Ye gods. Oh, ears of mine, are you deceiving me? No, it's true. But what a long and melancholy sound. Today I write I fifth this level this letter. Um well next time you need next, to read that slower, Darren. And next time Mozart uh, shouldn't order the uh <laughs> the spicy order the meatballs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the one of our greatest minds. <laughs> <laughs> and also and also there are recordings uh where people have recorded a song of um of Mozart, uh, entitled Lech mich im Arsch. Yes. Which yes. means exactly what you think it is. Yeah. In fact, I've seen a version performed by school children. That's just wrong. Yeah. It's it's a canon, in a canon. Six, for six voices in B-flat. Literally translated, Lick me in the arts. There you go. As somebody pointed out... How do you say that backwards? As somebody pointed <laughs> out, if you were making a South Park musical in like 1830, Mozart would be all over that. What's the German for blame, Cameron? <laughs> but there, there is like there, there is something fascinating in, and I think the film does this very cleverly. Uh, actually, that's the funniest joke of all time. Is 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 a German joke about Canada? Really? Yeah. Go on. We might have it. to go to the fact machine, oh, but it, it's uh, it's uh, Canada. Why do uh, why do you call Canada Canada? 
because there's nothing there. But in German, it's hilarious. Because Canada means kind of nothing, is there? Um, or, 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 yes, okay. maybe. All right. <laughs> um, we, we, we can go to the fact machine or we can push on. Let's go to the fact machine. And we're back from the fact machine with our German comic, Andrew Quinn. Warum has Canada Canada? Weil es gibt keine da. Keine da. Ah, I get you. Keine da. Yeah. Keine da. So yeah, so sometimes humor translates and sometimes it doesn't. But it, like one of the things I actually really like about Amadeus is how over the course of its two hour and 40 minute or three hour one time, depending on which version you're watching, it actually makes you care about Mozart. Because when Mozart's introduced, you are very much almost on the side of Salieri because he's so... He's a smutty little boy. He's so childish. He's so juvenile. I was he's... on the side of the smutty little boy. <laughs> Andrew was like, I feel very much invested in this. Yeah. It's like, I identify with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so podcasting doesn't come as naturally to the rest of us. Um, but yeah, no. It's a huge secret. <laughs> <laughs> but there is something very interesting in how the film, because at least when I was watching it, um, when Mozart first appeared, I was very much on Salieri's side. I was like this impudent, like disrespectful, like selfish, self-centered guy who doesn't have the basic decency to even pay attention to when his mm-hmm. great work of art is being performed. Like he's caught off guard when the you know when the palace musicians start playing his music and he has to run frantically back in one of the one of the great visuals of the film perhaps ironically it's the serenade for wind (laughs) nice I will say that music is his first love I think music is uh, consistently more important to him than anything else it is even 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 um, like as soon as he hears the music he's like they're playing my music yeah, and as, as as yeah, I don't think he's neglecting music. I think it's more just a, a, a reflection of how he neglects his obligations. Mm. Like I think it's more that he doesn't. I, I don't think there's any malice in it. I just think there's lack of awareness. And I feel like which if, is very childish. But yeah, that's it. I feel if you are that brilliant, and maybe this is you know maybe this is just me identifying with Salieri. But if you are that brilliant at being artistic and like constructing stuff, you can put in the effort to be conscientious. You know, you can put in the... You can work hard in the same way that other people work hard to be good at what you are naturally good at. You can work hard at paying attention and, like, being there when your music is being played. Well, of course you can, but again, it's part of what's apocryphal about the film. Like, for example, uh, there's the scene where uh, Salieri's reading Mozart's first drafts and there's no corrections or notes, nothing. Uh, Of course, entirely apocryphal. Nobody writes music like that. But it does feed into the idea that Mozart is so divinely inspired that he can in his own mind at least he can afford to lose focus if only for a little while so he can go chase Costanza under a table it's a kind of a thing like print the myth yeah as well yeah. Where, oh where, no no yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not besmirching in the oh, same no, way, no, the same no, way no, that the film absolutely. isn't besmirching the real Salieri or when we talk about Salieri in the podcast we're not talking about the real composer who lived we're no. talking about the film's version of Mozart I, but like I, as the film goes on he evolves he's always this kind of like very short-sighted little boy, but you come to care about him and you come to humanizes him in a very real and organic the way. Death of his father is yeah. kind of a moment where, as it were, kind of gets real. Oh, of course, um, I mean, at least yeah. John Giovanni, which, and that performance, that's terrifying. I mean, the one those yeah. demons come on with the torches. Well, I mean, heck. One of the things I really like about Amadeus, and it's something that a lot of movies about art do, and they, not all of them do it very well, 
It's where you show the inspiration for something and then you show the thing itself. So, for example, in the John Giovanni thing, you have the father standing at the top of the stairs holding his arms out to hug him in the creepiest hug ever. <laughs> um, but you also, then you get that juxtaposed with later on, the scene from John Giovanni where the specter breaks down the wall and holds out his hands. Mm. And it's like you can see Mozart using that image for his own life. Same thing with the shrieking uh, mother, the landlady. And where, becomes the magic flute. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in this which is done very, very well. Like, I mean, there are terrible examples. And when I think of a terrible example, I'm thinking of most recently, for example, The Darkest Hour, starring Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill, where, and again, this is a spoiler zone for all I movies. I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing you're going to refer to the subway Yeah, scene. everybody knows scene. about the subway scene, even if they haven't seen the film. What happens? It's when he goes to the subway. Yeah, it's when he goes and he gets a meatball marinara and uh, he asks at the counter and they're like, we will never, never surrender. But no, it's very much he rides the underground uh, in London and he meets with the common people, which Churchill never did, never would have done. And he meets with a bunch of coalition. He wouldn't have fit. The, 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 um, the tubes at that time were much narrower. Um, yeah. yeah, that's the historical inaccuracy yeah. there, Andrew. Yeah. But he, he's meeting, and there's you know there's a black guy there, there's a woman oh, there, and they're talking, say. and they're having conversation. And Churchill, you know, who's hardly the face of like liberal tolerant society in 1930s no, Britain, burn the anarchists, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and the communists. Yeah, but he he basically he has this conversation where he's like, people are saying that they think that we should negotiate a peace with Germany. What would you, the common people of Britain, do? Oh, and there's a moment. Makes no, me sick. There's hold on, hold on. There's a moment then when the characters who are around him on there go, "Well, we would never surrender." And then the next character goes, "Never surrender." Oh. And the third character goes, "Never surrender." And it's astounding that you don't literally see a light bulb go off over Churchill's head, where he's like, now "I that's should." That's a movie. I should write that down. Yeah, <laughs> that will be useful later on when I do that in the speech. And, like, so there's that sort of thing that movies do very often when they're talking about people who, like, create. Yeah. Um, and, people, it, and it's clunky as hell. It is. But here it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, uh, your favourite movie, Forrest Gump, where it's like, um, imagine, imagine there's no religion. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Don't they have any religion? What? No... <laughs> no borders to, yeah. Nothing to live or die for? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah like, where no hell below us, above us, only sky. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's yeah. So that's how you do it badly. Uh, but I that's, think uh, Forrest Gump does everything badly. To well, that, that's a different podcast. <laughs> but Not according to your IMDb two fifty, and yeah. according to people who like it. Yeah. There's actually a surprising volume of people who like it. Um, what do you mean? It was a huge movie in the nineties. It um, was. It was absolutely. This is the IMDb top 250 movies of all time it's going That's, to folk and it was yeah. a huge movie the 90s so the two of them will fit together yeah. beautifully but I mean I think the film does that very well it captures that it kind of it explains a lot and Foreman you're right when you say he doesn't really have an aesthetic or a visual style no. in that it's very hard to look at a shot and say this is a Foreman shot in the same way you would say a Spielberg long take yeah. or like a Kubrick in sort of like a one point perspective yeah, but he does tell story very well visually well that's it's very gritty though his his movie I, I guess yeah. it's a little bit older so it's like kind of like 1984 we were we were, we were watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and it's like what 1975 um, so like it, it definitely feels like film yeah you know it has and, a sort of quality to it, kind of it texture to it. Yeah. Mm. And it works well. Like, I mean, I yeah. kind of miss that in period pieces. Like, I mean, now that we've gone digital or whatever, yeah. you yeah. lose it does, the texture. It does lose it's like that, public definitely. enemies. 
Yeah, where, but well, that's intentional. Though. Yeah, well, it's, it's intentional, but it was one of the things that took me out of the film. I mean, hmm. I, I enjoy the experimentation I, of that, but that's I admired it. I admired the ambition of trying to do it. Yeah. Welcome to Mancast. Not <laughs> again. Um, yeah, but this one definitely it, it has a texture. But then again, this film is so wonderfully designed and put together. I mean, they they shot in Prague. Yeah, oh, yeah. Himself said there were only three cities that could have doubled for Vienna. They could have shot in Vienna or Budapest or Prague. And Prague makes sense because the communist authorities just hadn't bothered to update anything. Well, I mean, there's a famous story of when they were shooting at the Opera House and he would tell them to start playing music. Some of the American crew thought it would be great to do, like, Star Spangled Banner. That was on 4th of July. Yeah, on the 4th of July. And he was panicked because he thought the secret police would come and arrest them all. Well, this... Okay, maybe I'm... Maybe no, no, I'm no, no, I, what he was, heard, he no, was also story. Czech. So it, was. I guess it makes sense for him. Yeah, to, but, but the thing is, they, they did that on 4th of July... They played in the Star Spangled Banner. They dropped a giant Stars and Stripes from the ceiling. And all the extras were Czech. (laughs) But they all stood up and they all sang and they all knew the words. Except, according to Foreman, about 30 people dotted around. They were the secret police. Ah, very good. Mm. But yeah, he was so he was apparently panicked that they all would have been rounded up and arrested. Actually, well, yeah, you couldn't blame him at the time. He, again, nineteen eighty-three. Well, I mean, behind the Iron Curtain. Well, when we were talking about like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like when he got sent the script, it was censored and stuff. Like the it didn't get to him because it was because the police intercepted it and think, refused to pass it on. I think he can definitely identify with Mozart's and they <laughs> kind of having patrons <laughs> yeah. and, uh, who are mysterious uh, yeah, and, and yeah. ominous and want they, something very. Yeah. And then, and 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 with 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 the kind of idea of censorship, I, I, I like the kind of the thing between um, Salieri and well, Joseph of Austria, and I loved seeing um, Jeffrey who, Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. I, I imagine I imagine the scene in my head, like just like immediately when watching the movie, and they're say, and he's asking, like, should we get this Mozart guy? It felt like I'm saying, who is this Mozart? Is he popular? And it's like. <laughs> Oh, he's very, never heard of him. Oh, he's very popular, Ed. Um, <laughs> yeah. The bourgeoisie, the proletarius, they think he's a righteous dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Interesting, interestingly enough, when you talk about like the production design, the soundtrack is fantastic. Neville uh, Mariner conducting the Academy of St. Martin in the fields, performing basically the, the selection of Mozart stuff. Yeah. So it sounds amazing. You brought with you a copy of the soundtrack, which is uh, amazing. And it, it works beautifully. It's, um, yeah. Um, and when, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, when they were uh, working on the script, uh, Schaffer said to Foreman, one thing we... There's two conditions. One, you don't change one note of Mozart. Not one. And secondly, no repetition. You don't... Like, he didn't want any one piece of music becoming like the Mozart theme. Yeah. Like that. yeah. So I think the most used piece is uh, the Kyrie from the Mass and C minor, but it's different parts of it, different extracts. So again, there's no overlap. That and uh, the Confutatis from the uh, Requiem. Uh, they're probably the most used pieces. Very clever. And it works very, very well. But then again, if you if you have to pick only one classical composer to score your film, Mozart seems to suggest himself. Well, I don't know. Ask George Lucas. He didn't think any composer could do the job for Star Wars. He wanted like Dvorak and Hulst all the way through. Ah. And that's where John Williams got the inspiration. Interesting. I mean, you can hear you can hear uh, Mars, the bringer of war, in uh, in uh, the Imperial March, for yeah. God's sake. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of fair as well. But it is it is astounding. The film looks and feels amazing. It's got this wonderful texture to it. It 
kind of it's it's interesting we watched Barry Lyndon recently as well and they're obviously two very different sort of period pieces as well but you get the same kind of feel and text it's the same thing again where they feel more of their time uh, in which they're set than say something that could be made now because it would look too polished yeah well with with digital and with CGI and stuff like that like all Uh, sorry go on well, no, I was just going to say that yeah, with, with modern films where you're shooting on digital and you don't have the imperfections that you're talking about, mm. but also when you're using CGI to create cityscapes that don't exist anymore, which is an understandable necessity. But I, I... Uh, Sometimes it can take you out of the film, uh, which reminds me, memo to David Fincher, no more period pieces. Thank you. Well, Benjamin Button, yeah. Benjamin yeah. Button was... Okay, Zodiac, work. fine, but not Benjamin Button. Yeah, I mean... Please, not again. But anyway, sorry, Andrew, you were saying? No, um, it just uh, reminded me of the, the great thing as well about this particular 80s movie is um, the uh, occurrence of 80s um, uh, character actors from... Um, oh, Vincent I, yeah. Chiavelli. Like, it's the, one of the first faces that we see on screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, there's, a, there's a great story that Chiavelli tells that um, Foreman just wants him for this small part after having him in Cuckoo's Nest. And uh, anyway, he rides in uh, first night, he's, he's only there for about two nights to shoot. And uh, so he does his first take, action, he's walking across the courtyard. And uh, from and then suddenly Chevelli just hears cut. And then from behind the monitor, Rene, television is ruining you! <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, he was, yeah, he was, he was imperial in things like Taxi and that at the time. It's incredible, because like, who, who, who better to play that role? Because the, the the movie starts with these two monsters, like, well, these two sort of character actors. Yeah, actors. Well, no, yeah, but the, the, that's what they're 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 playing. They're playing yeah. these 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 sorts of like very kind of and they, they, broadly drawn. Yeah, I understand movie. that he's playing a role. <laughs> that, that's not actually uh, Vincent, Vincent Chevelli. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm accusing Chevelli of being a monster. Yeah, yeah, no, but it, it, sorry, uh, perhaps a better way of putting it is kind of like playing the, the grotesque. Yeah, you know, then and the, with the candles and with the picking up of the plates and stuff and the. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. I wasn't judging. I, I was, I was going to say. Speaking of, uh, of 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 characters who are very good at playing the grotesque. Well, you see it in this movie and you see it in other 80s movies that they're featuring. Uh, Kenneth Macmillan. Now, th- this mightn't have been in the you cinematic... You spotted this uh, as well. This yeah. is in the director's cut. He plays uh, somebody who uh, wants uh, Mozart to teach his daughter music. Yeah. But he's also in... He's also in Dune. He's Baron uh, Harkonnen. Vla- Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Um, and, uh, or Sting's, Sting's daddy. Yeah. He's like, fade. Raban. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Spice. <laughs> um, the so, spice must flow. That was a bit of a joy for 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 any. For yeah, your your face lit up as we watched that. Yeah, like, guys, <laughs> <from Dune. laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Dune is Dune is something else to behold. Well, uh, like I'm not even that big of a Dune fan. You were a bit disappointed. I lived with somebody who was a big uh, Dune fan, and they're kind of like a certain amount of it sort, sort of, of absorbed yeah. massively. Yeah, you have to love like like I'm. I, I've never read the books, but the 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 there are a lot better than the film allegedly. Well, I really like the books, I but really, again, Kyle really Rockman reads the them film. every year, apparently. Uh, I really like the film because it's it's crazy. Oh, it is absolutely crazy. It's it's like at one point it's they're nuts. they're considering David Lynch to do Return of the Jedi, yeah, and it's yeah, like, he turned it down for this. Yeah, and you're like, can you imagine what Return of the Jedi would have looked like? Oh, if... to see David Lynch's Ewoks, <laughs> the cannibalism would be a lot more explicit. It is worth noting, uh, for example, this. This film won Best Picture Oscar. It um, did, and seven others. And famously, uh, well, a number of interesting 
in inverted commas, facts about it winning Best Picture Oscar. Laurence Olivier. He didn't even read out the nominee. He just went, Amadeus! He didn't even open the envelope. No. Which is like an astounding feat of confidence. Oh, uh, somebody had just told Warren Beatty and, and uh, Fade on the way. It Ahead of time. Gone. Yeah. It would have saved so much bother. <laughs> but yeah, so they basically, and they had to explain that after the fact. But yeah, he literally just walked out with the envelope, didn't bother to open it and said Amadeus won. Uh, which is interesting. I'm not even sure it was, no- it was nominated that year. Um, which probably says a lot. Well, I mean, um, the nominees that year... Okay, hold on. the fact machine. Again. Why are you not working? All right, and we're back from the fact machine uh, with the Best Picture nominees for 1984. So, uh, A Soldier's Story, A Passage to India, The Killing Field, Places in the Heart, and obviously uh, Amadeus. And she's easily the best of those that I've seen. It, it is. It's also interesting in that it, it, it only earned another $50 million, uh, which was relatively little uh, in terms of Best Picture winners at the box office at that time. It's one of only five Best Picture winners ever... That never entered the top five at the box office on a given weekend. Uh, those five are Amadeus, The English Patient, The Hurt Locker, The Artist, and Birdman. Interestingly, The English Patient is another Saul Zantz production. Yes, indeed. Uh, one of only nine films, I believe, that he produced. Uh, Saul Zantz is a great producer. He has a really I, great track record as well. well. Yeah, it, if those two are anything to go by. And yes, I am the person who loves The English Patient. Still sue me. Well, The English Patient, actually, I have a great fun. I quite like The English yeah. Patient. Um, Do people not like the English They don't. They think it's stuff. Like, uh, he's uh, yeah, uh, but Zance, he, uh, he actually passed away a couple of years ago as well. But he produced Cuckoo's Nest. I assume the English patient was stuffy because it was the kind of thing like that my mum and dad would watch. Yeah, uh, and then you, you watch know. it, and it's and then it's actually, more successful yeah. than that. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but well, he, I mean, there's a whole host of them. the Merchant Ivory productions in general. They're generally like, though a bit more stuffy, I think. Again, passes to India. That's one of them. That's a bit stuffy. Remains the day. I think that's the epitome of it, in that potentially quite stuffy, but then you have that cat. Hopkins. Yeah. My God, he's fantastic. And, and Thompson as was well. It, it was, it's interesting looking back at kind of like 80s um, Oscar nominees as well. It, it was like, um, what's the name? Uh, Roland Jaffe was, 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 was having a bit of a moment. Killing yeah. Fields in the Mission, and that moment stopped dead in his tracks after yeah. that. Yeah. Like he's still doing movies. And they're, they're just not awful. very good. No, yeah. they're, they're terrible. Really, really terrible. Uh, pity because I love the mission. Uh, I think the Killing Fields is massively overrated, though. But interestingly enough, um, of the nominees between nineteen seventy between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy six, um, the Best Picture winners all made the all time top one hundred list at the box office. And then, sort of after that, and then sort of epitomized with Amadeus, they sort of stopped doing that. You started seeing that disconnect between the Best yeah. Picture winner and like you know mass culture. Even though, like, and it's interesting. Because Amadeus is mass culture. Amadeus is sort of soaked in through osmosis almost. Yes, but that's only happened after the fact. It's taken a long time for yeah. it to get there. I, I, I think everything kind of like... Well, a lot of things like that will will seep into the public consciousness. Like, Well, I don't know how popular um, uh, Dead Poet Society uh, was, on release. was on release. But it... it, it it strikes me as the kind of thing that would be more popular on, like, video, I guess, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shawshank Redemption is the epitome of that, because it yeah. flopped to the box office, and it gained a huge following on VHS. Yeah. What's a Shawshank, and why do I want to see it redeemed? There is no redemption in the Shawshank. Oh, wait, yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you know that The Shawshank Redemption was the best movie ever? According to this list. Luckily, we we have a podcast that you can listen to as well. But it it is sort of, it is interesting to sort of see that disconnect between a film that, like, first of all, didn't make that much money, but won all the Oscars and then sort of soaked in over time. Maybe in some ways provides an interesting sort of reflection of of Mozart. Where you have, like, after he's dead, that's the moment where you realize how great he is. And so Amadeus sort of has that sort of permeating or permeation of pop culture going on as well, where it's sort of like its reputation has grown over time as well. Like, I mean... The amount of people who cite uh, Amadeus as a massive influence on them, like I was, Jason Schwartzman of all people, was talking about how he was watching Amadeus from the age of five because he loved the pink wigs that Mozart wore. Yeah, I just remember thinking those, looking at the wigs, I thought, I know it's a period piece, but these could have easily been in the eighties. There is a, I remember at one point thinking Mozart looks just like Simon Le Bon. Yeah, well, it's, it's where he says, you know, I can't... Why can't I have three heads? And then laughs manically. Yeah. That's my impression. Yeah. I like that because it was another kind of early example of Mozart's eccentric sense of humour. Because not only is he... Um, like he's talking backwards and he's, yeah, and yeah, he's farting true. and he's... You know, he, he, again, it's eccentric and childish and sometimes the two at once. It's... Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a point where, you know... The mother-in-law says that she told her daughter never to marry a child. He's an overgrown... You'll never have a pot to piss in. Yeah, he's, he's an overgrown child, basically, yeah. is what it amounts to. But that's probably because he was never allowed to have a child in the first place because his father was taking him touring all throughout Europe to perform for oh, royalty. Oh, no, that's ignorance. Uh, yes, hello. They were, you beat me yeah. to my point. But yeah, we've yeah. seen evidence of that since. Yeah, and I mean, well, that, that's the thing when you look at him as a rock star. Obviously, this is based in some historical fact because his father did take him on tours yeah. of the court, as I understand it. In but fact, he moved the whole family all around Europe for a good three years. He went to Paris, uh, Paris, uh, all across Germany, uh, London at one point. Yeah, they did a lot of that, and you, that cannot be good for a child. Yeah, and when you're when you're watching it though, in the context of like a 1985 or 84 movie, like the first place your mind goes isn't necessarily Mozart's childhood; it's the childhood of like the Jackson family, for yeah. example. No, I don't know. Now, I, at I, this I, point, uh, Michael Jackson was still black, right? I don't. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't know about this point, because I was moved around a lot as a child. Were you and forced I turned, to perform? I, uh, I dance, out, monkey, dance. I turned out... Uh, there, there we go. Um, they, well, I, I suppose I was a class clown, which is a version of that. And, and but, I now have this image of your parents dragging you into your class, going, entertain them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, but, but um, my, my point was, I turned out fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Okay. So, yeah. No comment. <laughs> yeah. But again, like I think that it's it's another example of the film pushing Mozart as rock star. And I think it works very, very well. Yeah. Uh, perhaps epitomizing the fact that, of course, it led to a very popular song. Rock Me Amadeus. In which Falco does dress much like uh, Tom Holtz does in the movie. It's uh, yeah, he absolutely is a rock star. That's the point. He's uh, he's going in and he's just displacing and pulling the rug under from under all this 
all these toffee nosed um, courtiers. It's uh, like you know, you look. You know, he bursts. It's like it's almost cliche in its way, like a biopic. You know, you turn, they they hear him. They go most unorthodox. You're surprised there's not somebody wearing a monocle. monocle. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that, that's kind of the way it's told in the history of music as well. Because, because and and you see it, you see it in this movie, as in this kind of um, disruption of the. Um, Baroque sort of orthodoxy mm. where they're all playing the piano it's like and then this dude arrives who can play upside down while being held by his friends exactly. and presumably building gas to reach a crescendo yeah, yeah. Where, where, impressive um, rather than just kind of playing simple kind of uh, phrase and response sort of music mm. there's actually something um, sort of uh, beautiful There's and layers, layers. Yeah. Music. too yeah. many notes. Damn it, too many notes. Yeah, because they, I they, don't understand. There are just as many notes as I require, neither more nor less. And I'm speaking far too well for Mozart. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful scene, just in general. Like, oh, um, you mean uh, on the, the stage? Com- the on, bit on stage where they're having, like, they're trying to explain their issue with Mozart's music in a way that you know that satisfies up. them. Yeah, not him, and they can't. It just the excuse is too many notes, which yeah. doesn't make any sense from the first time I saw that film to this. Uh, and, but it's great because it's it's all so farcical. Because from there you go to uh, Constanza and her mother arriving, and uh, the looks that he's getting from Katerina. It's a it, it's a comedy. It's yeah. absolutely a comedy. And of course, ending well, there it is. Which is one of my favourite catchphrases ever. <laughs> and and the the comedy as well has so many kind of levels to it. Because there's the there's the really wry sort of like uh, blink and you miss it kind of comedy where Salieri is talking about himself um in a in a very kind of um uh, like self deprecatory kind of way, but it's so subtle where he's saying um he's he's talking about uh, Joseph. Um, of Austria and he's saying um, well um, he doesn't really have an ear for music but he really likes mine <laughs> so and it, it, oh. it, it, the self burn yeah. there you want to talk about Salieri consigning himself to the eternal fires man and man is the master of the self burn yeah the self burn it's a, yeah that, the film Salieri is story, Salieri's story in this is one massive self burn really it is. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about class in the film? Is, is there anything there sort of like... I mean, I think there's something interesting in how it argues for music as something that Mozart made accessible to the masses. Well, definitely. It, you have the scenes later on where Schikaneder's uh, 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 vaudeville group, they're performing a spoof of the marriage of Figaro for uh, presumably a, a lower class and poorer crowd. But I don't same know. music. And, and Mozart's loving it. And Mozart's Mozart absolutely flattered by it. Mozart's yeah. loving it, but the, the, the I, I'm not convinced that... Um, His wife is. No, no, I'm not convinced that Milo's Foreman is. Because you're, 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 you're kind of making a point about Mozart more than making a point about regular people. Mm. As in, how laudable is this Mozart fellow that, that, that he, um, he gets a... Um, he gets a kick out of people enjoying his music, regardless of of class. But when you actually look at the uh, the uh, lower classes in in the audience, it's kind of like they it feels like they've been given a direction. It's like you people are poor. And it's like what do you mean poor? How do we? You're stupid. And um, so you're swaying from side to side. They're all singing of the, along. I think that I find those things very enjoyable because they look drunk. It, 
They, 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 they probably they are. are. Like, I mean, if Mozart they're, certainly they're, is. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's, I, 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 I don't know. And, and like, we saw the same movie. So the, 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 the it's, it's, it's kind of like. Do we ever, Andrew? I, I, I put it this way. I, this, but I think and everyone's the, like, hey, hey, I think this the point is good. the movie's making it. is that they're more engaged with, they're more physical with them. They're more like willing to see they're, and they're able to appreciate so. it in a well, more active and personal way. And that Mozart is, is fine with that. Yeah. Maybe that's a way to appreciate like, Mozart. Yeah, and as beautiful as the production and everything else it's, in the official marriage figure all might be. It's not it's as it's not as you know. It's not as um, it's just not as entertaining. It's not as heartfelt. I think they're I think they're being portrayed as simpletons. Oh, I don't know that. And 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 the, 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 and, and the, the the kind of thing that the the wife kind of comes away from it saying, "Oh, the, this was um, it was common." And and and, and the, the way that says more about her. The way they portray else. it as well is it's like a Noel Coward or like Carry On production where where um, and if you've seen them they're terrible but they're they're, they're Noel they're, Coward. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, Noel Coward. Yes. His farces are, um, are utterly like uh, well any productions I've seen of them is okay. like um, I'm glad. I don't live in the fifties because um, <laughs> uh, this was once like what you get. Um, the, the, that's that's kind of like, uh, and then because it's from the fifties, and because it, we we have to appreciate it. But okay, well, the, 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 I, I will give you some of the carry on. It's not just Noel Coward. Okay, the carry ons are vintage pretty... Noel Coward. Yeah, which means it's old, which means it's good. <laughs> okay, uh, I was no, I don't give you most anybody, of the carry on films. I don't yeah, think anybody will begrudge that. I quite like Noel Coward of the plays that I've seen. I mean, some, but I, I saw um, what's it called? Is it What the Butler Saw or something like this? But mm. there was a production in London that I saw with like Ahmed Jalili, who was who was great, but the play stunk. Oh, it was well. just terrible sex comedy, and it, it, like anyway. Sorry, I, I, I feel like I feel like though a Noel Coward sex comedy for you, Andrew, may be like like where's the sex? It's like I mean, I'm, I'm just, not much comedy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair oh, point. I think that might be a matter. of No, all of this sort of like ew. Oh my! Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like ew, matron. <laughs> okay, well that, that's like, that's more carry on. Than oh, coward. he's after seeing my knickers and all of this. Like, um, like it's the kind of thing that we grew up. Um, laughing at parodies of rather than laughing at it. So, like, to right. actually see it um, may, 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 makes it so kind of cringeworthy, okay. you know? Well, yeah, but again, they're products of the time. You have to remember that before you see it. But, I mean, I... I it doesn't make them good. But to go back to the point that we're talking about with this film, I, I think the film is entirely, like, fair in its assessment of, like, the idea that these people who are maybe drunk and who are swaying and singing along with it and cheering and shouting in a way that like, there's a great moment where Salieri says that you didn't put a nice bang in to remind the audience where to clap. Mm. And there's a sense watching the crowd. Because they're stupid. Because, yeah, and he's talking about the upper class audience here. But there's a point where you watch the lower class audience who are clapping and they're cheering in and singing. All the way. Like they, they know when to clap when watching it. They know when to sing along. And there's an argument that that's just as valid a way to engage with art in, in yeah. inverted commas. And again, as, it's the same music. It's the same yeah, tune. It's just performed in a different manner, a more lively manner. 
I mean, you would argue I, more I, patronizing, but yeah, I I, th- I thought it was patronizing, and I, I, I feel like you're being very generous. Oh, okay. but uh, but I, well, I, guess I mean, these I am, things are a matter of opinion. And you, uh, like of the two fifty co-hosts, I am the one who tends to be generous when it comes to if I can mount a defensive argument of something, I will try my best to. Yeah, I will concede that, but I do think in this case it's a fair point. Phil, you want to be deal breaker? No. <laughs> Staying Absol- out of this Absolutely not match. The internet is far too vicious a place for me to do that <laughs> to Democracy in. would be a great system If there were three people in a room yeah, and they, <laughs> they could solve all of life's questions Indeed yeah. But is there anything else we want to talk about With regards to Amadeus That we haven't talked about already I don't think so Unless Andrew's got something in his notes No I don't think I have anything in my notes um, And I'm, he has I'm, taken extensive notes It's usually me yeah, no, I, I, and, and when, 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 when I say extensive notes, this is just me writing down things that, that I'm thinking something. while the movie is playing. Yeah. And, and do any of them make sense that we haven't covered already? No, no, I, I've talked about sex food, I've talked about sex music, I've talked about music sex, God sex, father sex, God sex, Godfather, Father God. Um, yeah, so, uh, like... <laughs> you feel like you've covered a lot of the ground there. Yeah. Oh, uh, God food. Again, just just to make a and God music. Put a put a pin in it. Uh, Phil, is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet with regards to? Not really. I just have a real urge to watch The English Patient again now. What? Well, there are worse things to do to come out of to come mm. out of this film wanting to watch. Join us next week for The English Patient. I, that must have been on the two fifty at some. The two. I believe it was on the two fifty. I think it has since dropped off. Uh, I'll, yes, I I'll go and check because so. I mean the two fifty is, as we know, a very very fickle, uh, in, the fickle sort of. Uh, no. I know, who would have thought of this? Um, <laughs> the English Patient was, in fact, on the list. Uh, it came in in February, it came in in December 1996 and it dropped off in February 1998. Well, oh. all, all music are equal, uh, sorry, sorry, all, all, all films are, are equal in the eyes of God. Um, well, all as, men, as, certainly, as, are, as, as we discussed as, in the film. As, as, as the priest at the beginning tells us. Yeah. But if, 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 you know, if they wanted the English patient to praise God, why didn't God give it the privilege of being on the 250 forever? Indeed. These are the tough questions. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Phil. No problem. Um, thank and, you very much, Phil. And thank it has been a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully we will have you back soon. Uh, hopefully so. Who yeah. knows what might be coming up next? On, on the Random Number Generator. In the meantime, if we want to find uh, you online, Andrew, where can we find I you? I don't. And if we want to find uh, Phil, we can't. Um, so, this so is all where good. do we find you, Derek? Um, you can find The 250 then, which is this podcast on Twitter at the 250 spelled using real letters. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, various other service providers that provide uh, you know podcasts for you to listen to. If you want to give us a positive review, we would really, really appreciate it. If you don't, then, well, don't. That's your business. Uh, but until then... I'd like... Uh, I... Maybe maybe just decide amongst yourself if one of you wants to write a really good skating review, but just one, because they do affect our ratings. Uh, and they do drag us down the road. If, yeah. you like, if you like us, tell everyone. If you don't like us, tell us. But yeah, there's... Uh, there, but anyway, so next week we'll yeah, be back. Just, just send us a DM with something nasty to say. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, and, and, but, but don't put it in an iTunes review. Yeah, or, or on Twitter about us. Just you know, share it privately. Vent. Jeez, paranoid, guys. <laughs> It's I know all somebody's about... been saying bad things and it's <laughs> keeping me up at night. Um, those Gotta get those ratings up, Phil. But no, um, next week we'll be back we'll be talking about the Estonian movie Tangerines. The first Estonian film to be nominated for the Best Foreign Picture Oscar uh, in 2013. And joining us we have two very special guests. We have Ronan Doyle and returning guest Jake Coyle. You let him back in? We did. 
Jay uh, doesn't like movies. We know. <laughs> Jay hates movies. <laughs> so but will he like? Softened it. Uh, will, will he like the sweet taste of tangerines? That's what you're going to have to wait until next week to find out. All of your, all of you Estonian film nuts, are are finally going to get your 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 dose next week. All right. Cheers. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.